Hi, welcome to Five Days with Doug. I'm Doug Perkins. Today I wanted to share a conversation that I had back in August with my friend Jackie Taylor. She is the director of artistic planning at a festival called Bravo Vale, and she is a dynamo, a tour de force, and an inspiration. She has boundless energy and amazing curiosity. I remember the first time I met Jackie, um, you know, she's worked for a long time as um, a presenter, a producer, an executive director. Um, she's always thinking and always planning and trying to figure out how to make musical events that are meaningful and powerful and lasting beyond the two hours that a concert happens. Um, I first met her in Cleveland at um, after playing a concert with Signal the Cleveland Museum of Art, we were having some kind of a dinner and she was seated next to me and um, she doesn't remember meeting me, but she left quite an impression. Um, so I remember her. Just, we sat down and immediately she began asking me questions about music I like and ensembles she should know about and who doesn't she know and what music does she need to listen to. And um, she's just always soaking up uh, music and ideas and it, it's it's amazing. She has a, a real a real love a real love for this stuff, and um, she's one of my kind of favorite people. That you know, one of these people who works um, on the on the production side of things, not from the people who are making the music on stage, but the people who make it possible for us to get on stage. Uh, I I just I love hanging out with her, and so we we worked for a couple of years getting this Anuxuet happening, and. Um, then planning planning some chamber music concerts while I was there this summer. We got to play with my duo partner, Todd Meehan, and then also got to play with Chris O'Reilly and Anne-Marie McDermott, who is the artistic director out there, and Peter Wiley. And we had this, it was just an amazing week of chamber music, and then got to do the Sanuksua, which was something that this festival had never, never done before. And Jackie was so excited to sort of challenge her audience and challenge her festival to you know, see what is possible and see how they can push things forward in a meaningful way. And um, I was honored that they trusted me to be part of this, where we went out and uh, did a concert, not even in Vail. We went out to this park called Malloy Park in Minturn, Colorado. And it is not a place where music happens. And so no one knew what was going to happen or if anyone was going to show up. But we had this wonderful and beautiful day um, where it looked like it was going to rain on us, but the sun came out and Tons and tons of people came out, and then we had a big party at a saloon, and um, props to the the Bravo Vale people when we were sitting at the dinner at the saloon. Um, the little Bud Light uh, signs that are on, you know, if you can imagine a bar table with a little advertisement, they were actually advertisements for Nooksuit. Um, I've never seen uh, my concerts advertised in a little um, Bud Light picture frame on a bar before. Uh, which was pretty cool. And people were into it. And uh, I can't say enough good things about the people in Bravo and particularly about Jackie. So here's us talking uh, one morning, a couple days before Anuxuit. We talk about a little bit about um, our project. And it's fun to hear her talk about presenting a big, crazy percussion event from, uh, from her side of things. But then also she definitely stick with it and listen because she talks about all the cool things she did to shake up New York City and shake up the idea of presenting classical music and we should all we should all know about that so here is Jackie Taylor 
let's all take a listen. that can you say something i can say something i can say a lot of things okay great so what have you done in the last five days what have you been up to what have i been up to well yesterday i went to a radio station in edwards a station i'd never heard of before i was supposed to be there at noon and at about 12.45, somebody said, you know, people don't usually get here on time. So that's why we asked them to come at noon. And I'm looking at my watch thinking, is anybody going to ask me to go into, you know, the the room there and actually talk? Um, so that was kind of fun. Because you did, were you at a meeting or did you do an interview? No, it was for an interview. But what was really cool about it was that everyone in this office space basically um, knew something about Inuksuit, the thing that we're doing on Saturday. And so these little like bright lights, oh yeah, I heard something about that. And then another guy says, you know, I wrote an article for the Vale Daily and it's coming out on Friday. And he knew all about the piece. He knew more about it than I do. Oh, cool. And he printed it out for me, and I got to read it just as I was going in to be interviewed. Um, and then there was the guy who who did the interview who um, was very excited and very energetic and was saying how much he wanted to be there. And so that was a very cool day. And after that, my husband and I had um, some really great food. So it was a nice, it was a, it was a good day. Yeah. I had a bunch of other meetings talking about different, you know, music things and veil things and fundraising things. And it was a busy day. Cause in the context of veil, Bravo veil, mm -hmm. where we are, where I guess I did concerts the last couple of days and then we're doing a Nuxwit together. Right. Um, your, what is your title? Director of artistic planning. So that means that you're out here now looking ahead to next year, probably putting closing up this year. Yeah. And then doing a little bit of work for for our Nuxwood project. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it is very much sort of living through the fruits of my labor from the last year while thinking about next year. And every concert is an evaluation, you know, an assessment a where does this idea lead what worked here that would work again what were what didn't work here that we shouldn't do again and and thinking a lot about Inuksuit and like what do you do after you've done Inuksuit um so it's an interesting it's an interesting time to be in well it's exciting thinking being here what's been fun to watch at least for the Anuxwood side of it, Bravo Vale has typically, I mean, you have, you bring in three major orchestras. Yeah, well, now four, because we added the Academy of oh, St. Yeah, Martin right. in the Fields this year, yeah. And um, yeah. some chamber music, but, well, quite a more bit of chamber than, music. More than you realize, 
because so much of it is free. Yeah, twice a week during the day, it's we do free chapel concerts. And that's, but that's string quartets and string quartets, solo piano. We've had woodwind quintets. You know, we've done a lot. And then we have a nighttime chamber music series. Um, this year, we did the um, reduction of Bruckner Seven for nine instruments with members of the New York Philharmonic. Um, we had the Dover Quartet. Um, we did a program with members of the Philadelphia Orchestra. And then, of course, Classically Uncorked, which is what we're doing right now with you. So it adds up. It adds up to a lot. What I'm really excited about is that none of you have any idea what's going to happen on Saturday. I know. Which is great. Yeah. I mean, it all signs point to that it's going to be wildly successful. Right. But you're leaving Vale to go to the, the neighboring town. We're going into this... Um, Malloy Park, which is, uh, you've never done anything there. Right. And uh, so it's kind of fun to see everyone's hopeful hopeful excitement and right. openness to it. Right. No, it, it's, a, it's a trip for me because, you know, I heard it in Cleveland. And I remember in the days preceding thinking to myself, what the heck is this? And trying to find out, you know, where do we go? Where do we park? You know, can I sit down or can I? You know, do I bring my son or don't I? And so now having experienced that, you know, I'm sitting with our marketing department and other people and and trying to, you know, provide enough information for people without trying to over-describe the experience because you can't. You can't. So it's this kind of fine line for me of it's okay, you know, it's okay to not know. Like not knowing is probably the best way to go into it. Um, and I had to talk to our executive director the other day about how, you know, this is not a typical Bravo, let's have the announcements before the concert kind of thing where we thank everybody right. and this just happens. And uh, she was uh, she was thrilled. She's like, that sounds so good. <laughs> So it's funny. It's funny to think about. I mean, we've been working on this together for God, I guess it's been a year and a half. It's been since December of 2014. That's crazy. Yeah. That's when we first had our conversation about it. Um, but, the, you know, and I guess for me, for me and why I'm happy to be talking to you is, well, I love production people. And I think good art is comes from good production. Mm. And, What's funny is to those who just come up and happen upon it, this will appear. It is it, the 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 experience we will be providing will look as though we barely touched anything compared to these concerts we're doing now. Totally, yeah. Looks like oh, planning for a wedding for every right. day to right. play these concerts. Right. Um, but all of the work and all of the meetings and all of the the back end that's going to go into this right event is. Um, that's fun. It's enjoyable to me. And all those conversations, like last yesterday, I ended up in a long conversation about dogs. Mm -hmm. And um, can dogs be leashed? Do they have to be leashed? Could there be a dog off a leash in, in an excellent performance? 
I think there could be because I think people in Colorado don't necessarily abide by the rules. Yeah, I think there I think there will be, but right. but I, I think I had a semi-serious conversation with some of the staff right about the dog rules. Right. Which is just hilarious. Right. It's interesting what you're talking about because it it makes me think of something that I experience a lot which is that out of discipline comes freedom. I mean, you uh-huh. can't have the freedom of what this piece needs without having the discipline to pre-plan and make it look like it's, you know, not overly planned. Right. Uh, um, it's interesting, even with the with the musicians, there's a, a way that, you know, I've been feeding information to the musicians for mm-hmm. a month and a half so far, probably. And just giving them little bits of information and even what do you leave vague until later so that they're getting ideas and getting thoughts, bringing some creativity to it. And then even before the first rehearsal that we've had a bunch of conversations mm-hmm. so that by the time people show up tomorrow, as we were talking about earlier off the cam- off um, microphone, getting people trying to how to get people to invest in the creative process of the piece before the first rehearsal, because it has to be it's such a quick the rehearsal process is so quick, but I need people to come to the rehearsal already full of right. that sort of creative energy right? so that then I can quickly end the way the rehearsal process will go is then I'm quickly adjusting things for the first two hours, correcting things every couple seconds until then hopefully the next, the next 12 hours are me slowly trying to fire myself musically to where everyone is so invested in every move they make that they will have their own complete ideas and won't want to hear from me anymore. But I mean, you've done this so many times. How long did it take you to figure this approach out? I think it yeah, it took a few times. The first yeah. time I did it, it was a horror. It was not a success. Hmm. It, we did it in Texas. I just didn't, you didn't know the right questions to ask. Uh-huh. And the piece doesn't, it's not an obvious, doesn't make sense on the page necessarily. Mm-hmm. Is that our breakfast? It might be breakfast. Yeah. Should well, I answer it? Yeah, you it? should answer it. Hello? Hi, this is Jackie. Yeah. Your seats are ready here at the dining room. Okay. Our seats are ready. Okay. okay we'll be there. Thanks. We'll minutes. be right there. Thank you. Bye. I'm going to answer this question and then we'll push pause. Okay. Um, just that, uh, so the first time was, was rough, but it was fine. Like, as with all things, you have to just go for it and, right. then, and then learn from it. Right. We did it in a very safe place down in Round Top in Texas. And then the second time we did it was at the Armory in New York. And John and I must have talked on the phone every day for literally six months. Oh, my, oh my just God. Just like, wow. what is the nature of this piece? Uh-huh. What is the nature of this page? What do you, what is, you know, like we really just like, and then even imagining what if a drummer is here? How close is the next drummer? How do people, how might they relate? Even to like, there we had doing things at the Park Avenue Armory was their first big music festival. So they kind of let us do what we wanted. Right. But to the, like, is the nature of it, do we need everybody on risers or is the nature of it that the performer is on the level of the musician of the audience or how do you, you know, just like asking every philosophical question. But did he have answers for all of that? I mean, it must've been. No, I think we, I think we, I mean, I think we just talked it out. Yeah. Over a long time. Yeah. And then that one went pretty well, but we still learned a ton from that one. Yeah. And then I think when we did it in Morningside Park after that, we kind of started to get it right. And then have 
been, but I'm still like learned so much in Greece this time. Uh-huh. We had a, um, a week of rehearsal in Greece. Ah. Uh. So I had all these breakthroughs. Really? That I'm so, so I'm still, you know, well, it's music. We always are learning from it. Wow. Okay, let's eat okay. Uh, breakfast. up in new york i grew up in new jersey but i spent a lot of time in new york as a young person my grandparents lived there how far from the city were you 55 miles northwest how did you come to a life in production i graduated from high school in 1982 and in august of 1982 i moved to 45th street between 8th and 9th avenues and every day I walked with my trumpet case back and forth to Juilliard. And I had to do work study. And in my second year, I started working for the Juilliard Pre-College Orchestra, which met at 8.30 on Saturday morning. And in that orchestra and the orchestra that there was a top orchestra and then another orchestra that had younger kids in it. Between those two groups and the time that I worked for them, I was telling people like Alan Gilbert, Pamela Frank, Roberto Minchuk, Gil Shaham, where to be, where to go, sit down, be quiet, be on time. Um, it was ridiculous because, you know, all these people have gone on to have these major, uh-huh. major careers in music. And and we all laugh about it um, now when I see them. Um, so I started when I did that work, I realized that I enjoyed that a lot more than I enjoyed practicing. And I liked being backstage while the orchestra was on stage, knowing that I had helped them get on stage at the right time, you know, with the right music in front of them. From that job, I got into artist management because of Pat Winter, who's uh, vice president at Opus 3. She became really my, my first mentor and I worked for Chris O'Reilly and Paul Neubauer and the cellist Leslie Parnist and the pianist Lee Levisi and some other really great people. And I started going to their concerts. And when I went to their concerts at places like the 92nd Street Y, I discovered chamber music. And I fell in love with chamber music. And I also decided that I wanted to be on the presenting side and not the selling side of the music business. So I went to the 92nd Street Y at the first opportunity I had, and I stayed there and worked with Olmos Hirschbein for six years. And he taught me about um, supporting great artists. You know, he was the guy who said yes to Hermann Pry when Hermann Pry wanted to do a 10-year Schubertiade. 
He was the person who said yes to Dawn Upshaw when she had a three-program series um, at a time when people didn't do that. You know, they didn't do these multiple concerts of different programs. It's, right. it's the norm now. You know, I heard all the Bartok string quartets there. Um, and it just, it just catapulted my brain and my heart into a world that I love. From the 92nd Street Y, you mm-hmm. went, was, did you go from there to the town hall? I went to the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. Oh, right. Right. Which was a big deal because at the Y, I was um, doing the programming by the time I left. I was selecting artists and talking about music and listening you know, to everything. There was a time when I knew who all the hot young debut artists were and I presented all of them. I mean, Christian Tesloff and his New York recital debut and lots of other people. I was there when Andra Schiff did all the Schubert sonatas. Um, going to the Chamber's Society as the executive director meant working with an artistic director. And so it was a new hat in a way, but it was a great hat because I worked with David Schifrin and um, he um, he respected me as someone who had um, a seasoned opinion about music, but he was the artistic director, so it wasn't my job to come up with programs, but it was my job to support him and um, to help guide the institution and we did some pretty fun things there. Because um, well, wasn't that when you did all the free concerts? And you're well, people in? my last year there, the Orion String Quartet played six concerts in Alice Tully Hall of all the Beethoven String Quartets, and they were free to the public. And um, actually, David and I had a very, very intense debate about that series. Um, and... We respected each other enough to to continue the the debate and resolve it, and we came out. Um, what was the debate about? The debate was about whether the series should feature one quartet or six different quartets. The debate was about whether or not we should do them free. Um, I mean, at that particular time, that was the year two thousand. We could have easily sold out. Alice Tully Hall, and probably, you know, turned a, a, a bit of a profit on those concerts. But because it was the year 2000, and everybody was talking about the year 2000 and what they were going to do, I thought that we should try to do something different. And so we, we made them free, and we, at the same time, honored six different cultural organizations in New York that were doing work with kids in the arts. So we had honorees, and the Orion Quartet went to the physical sites of each of the honorees, uh, like the Harlem School of the Arts, and um, did a bunch of um, playing and working with kids and whatnot there. And we also made little three-minute films about these places. And we showed the film before the concert. And it was like the opening of the concert was a film. And we invited that school and its community and its leaders and whatnot to be part of the event. And 
we actually gave each honoree a check for, I think it was about $7,000, which was a portion of money we had raised to do the series and money that was raised on the spot, you know, basically passing the hat. And it was kind of an unusual thing to do, you know, for a not-for-profit not for profit organization to turn around, raise money, and hand it over um, to these other not-for-profits. But it created a really beautiful sensibility in, in the room, in, in the hall, um, about the city. And um, the other thing that contributed to that was the fact that for the first time in the history of the Chamber Music Society, and you know, possibly in the history of Lincoln Center, we advertised those six Beethoven concerts in probably five or six different languages. And we gave away, I think it was 4,000 tickets, it might have been six, but maybe it was four, in almost every borough. I think every borough except for Staten Island, the day that they, they were being given out. And, you know, there were people online with full-page ads in Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, Arabic. Um, I can't remember all the other languages we did, but it was very cool. And they came. You know, they came and they sat and they listened and they were the most amazing audience I think I've ever experienced. They look like the subway, which was what my dream was. I wanted cool. the audience to look like the subway. Right. And um, it's a very moving, enriching experience. And because of that experience, I started the series with Omis at Town Hall. And we did free-for-all at Town Hall for, I don't know, six or seven years or something like that. Same model, except it was solo recitalists and a couple of string quartets, I think. Um, and we had, you know, lines going from the box office of Town Hall over to 6th Avenue, um, up a block, and then back over to Broadway for all kinds of people. And again, the line looked like the subway. So, and lots of people jumped on board. I mean, WQXR was a big sponsor. Um, they They jumped in right away and gave us lots of promotion. And we handed out brochures in the free newspapers that they, I don't know if they're still doing that in New York or there's all these. Oh yeah. There's like what the, the AM New York. Or yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. On the subway. Yeah. So we worked with all those different kinds of media partners and, you know, gave stuff away and in different locations. And I, it was very inspiring. I mean, it was life changing really. Um, I know that um, Arlene Schuler who had worked at Lincoln Center and then went on to, I think she's maybe possibly still running City Center, and she started Fall for Dance. Mm -hmm. I think that Free for All at Town Hall had made an impression on her, and she created Fall for Dance, which is not free, but it's very reasonable. And I don't know if it still goes on now today or not, but hugely successful. The price point is, is, is an issue. It's a problem. You know, everybody loves music. Who doesn't love music? Right. You know, everybody's touched by, by, by greatness. But 
if it's 300 bucks a seat, who are you going to see there? It is pretty crazy. Like, I, you know, I live in Chicago and I want to take my son to the symphony. He enjoys it. But tickets are like $100 yep. to start. Right. And it, I just can't believe that they can sell as many concerts as they do at that price. Right. I don't know who these people are. Right. That that's like criminal to me. I mean, that's that's the that's what motivated me to do Be- Be- Beethoven two thousand because, you know, I was there at the Chamber Music Society for six years and I I loved the people there and they're you know generous 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 people. But I just kept thinking, you know what I what really killed me was I kept thinking my own staff can't afford to go to our concerts. Right. Like, what is what is up with that? That is just not right. These people who are working, I mean, you know how they work in the arts, you know, really long days, really long weeks, lots of hours, and for the love of it. But if they had to buy that ticket, they couldn't. And it 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 makes me crazy to this day. Um and it's a, it, it's a big problem everywhere. It's a big, big problem. I think that's one thing I enjoyed when I, so I did that project. We did that John Luther Adams project, Sila, out of doors right. two years ago. But it's so fun just talking to them about all this free music that was going to happen. Right. And it was uh, the spirit of those meetings and those conversations. There is a different optimism and excitement. Totally. When you realize that you can reach everyone in New York. That's right. And so it, I know I enjoyed, not that it matters, I'm happy to do anything for Lincoln Center, but I remember when I was working with them, I was like, oh, you guys are the cool kids. This is the good team to be on. Right, right, right. This is right. great. We're going to make a mess for everybody. Right. And yeah. that's pretty, that's always nicer than. Yeah. Well, the funny thing that happened with Beethoven 2000 <laughs> is, um, you know, Nat Leventhal was the president of Lincoln Center at the time. And Link Inc. is a separate organization from the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. But I went to Nat and I said, I want you to put $25,000 into this project. And he did. And Arlene Schuler, who was his VP for development at the time, she was beside herself, you know, shocked. You know, Jackie, how did you do this? You know, I mean, it you never heard it because you were all fighting over money all the time. But um, he, he, he got it. He totally got it. Oh, and great. basically what he was doing was making the hall free to the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center mm-hmm. because they were the landlord. Right, of course. And we had to rent it. So he subsidized the, the rental. And... Um, and it completely freaked everybody out, but it was it was wonderful to have his support um, and understanding. So, and to this day, there are meetings about protocols. And now, there's that one time the Chamber Music Society just yeah, right, in here and right, got away right, with right, this. Right, right. What's well, yeah. cool hearing you talk about this stuff? Yeah, I think it's cool for people to think about who might hear this is just the level of creativity and the ability to affect change you have where you sit. I think as as performers often think about how the music is going. You know, we just think about the music. Right. And right. Well, for me for me though, I personally and you know that I'm I have a bit of the I have a bit of your brain in me. <laughs> uh, oh. when I think about 
sometimes my musician brain thinks about what I can do with the notes that I play. Right. And it's really, it's really wonderful. And playing concerts this week has been really wonderful. And the music itself has unlocked some doors for people and opened some ideas. But I talk about creating change at the level of the 16th note or at the structural level. Right. Because it's nice to create great music for people who want to hear it and to allow people their, their moment of, create you know unlocking something in their brain right but when you get to come up with this idea about let's get all of new york city into right lincoln center and let's right create a new way to share the music and way to get people to think about their city right you don't always get to do that if you're sitting at the piano no you don't when you have a trumpet you don't but you know what's really satisfying is that musicians are by and large so open to the structural ideas. I mean, when when I first, um, with David Schifrin, talked to the Orion String Quartet about this, I mean, it was like, yes, in the biggest possible way. Right. You know, they see it, they get it, and they're on board with you. And, and they gave 10,000% of themselves to the project. Um, so it's it's really about spirit in igniting spirit and then making a, like a bigger spark, um, which is what I love about Inuxuit. I was so fascinated to read yesterday that John Luther Adams, when he was writing the piece, was haunted by um, the notion of the melting of the ice cap right. and people being in isolation. That's there's a quote from him about that. Yeah, he thought he was writing a piece about isolation. Right. But he ended up writing the biggest community piece there. It's unbelievable. And because that is exactly what happens. You know, you're you're in a space, strangers wandering, listening. Each experience is completely individual to a, a far greater degree than it could be in a concert hall. And when it's over, people are looking at each other and saying, that was amazing. That was amazing. And there's a connection. And it actually goes right back to the meaning of the word Anuxuit, right? Because it has to do with the capacity to to feel human, you know? It's a... It is interesting in that way that, well, the music, it does the thing that it, everyone starts out as an individual and it's interesting even at the audience level, everyone is sort of alone and figuring it out. But then eventually the ensemble gets so loud that it makes, it morphs into one sound. Right. And it makes this huge unified, one unified gesture. Right. Um, And then the audience by the musicians, I think creating such a large sound, it actually makes people feel safe. Right. So if you have to say crazy thoughts to your friend, we don't care because it's so loud. Right. Do whatever you got to do. And then it slowly gets quieter. Right. And then everyone somewhere in the middle there feels safe enough that we're all on the same team. Right. And everyone as a, and by that point, the audience is, it's like having an orientation. They've had enough time to figure out their version of it. So everybody feels safe. And then the musicians begin to fall away into the audience Till by the end, we've all, everyone can feel safe and kind of as one. Right. I always describe the end of it as it's 
it ends up feeling like you've been at the fireworks on the 4th of July in a way where everyone is just sitting back. And when it's over, everyone is kind of collapses like we've seen something nice today. Right. But it's not you're not clapping for the virtuosic performer. Or right. The, if everyone at the end is just kind of like we've regarded a nice moment. Right. Right. And I, I also I like doing the, the piece things. The reason I, I, mean, I keep doing the thing over and over and over again. But what I like about it is one, I like making a big, bold project. Right. For even the musicians, for, for many of the musicians who play, this is the biggest and craziest thing they will have done. Right. Especially for young performers. Right. And so to, to, for them to be able to be involved in something like that gives them their first shot of like, hey, I can do something cool for my community. Right. So then, you know, I know, I know musicians who have been involved in, in this project have gone on to produce their own or have gone on to produce other concert series or right. after school things. It is like, right. it is a big enough event that it has clearly inspired people to go take the reins and do right. something. That's which fantastic. Is exciting. And yeah. then even here, what's yeah. exciting I think is that it does, it's a chance for people to get civic pride about something. Oh, completely. Like yeah. it's, you don't just, it's always for an event. But right. so as a result, you know, here we, um, you know, in the case of Vale, it's the town of Minturn is getting excited yeah. because we're, we're using yeah. this park that is, a, there's clearly a lot of pride around this park. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, from talking to people at the park, they're very excited to have guests see the park and they want it to be great. Right. Right. You know, and right. Um, yeah. The guy in the radio yesterday kind of teased me because I kept saying Vale over and over again, because yeah, after my Vail. Cleveland experience, I said, we have to do this in Vale. We have to do this in Vale. And he said, so the guy on the radio yesterday said, so so let's do it in Minturn. That's <laughs> so, right. That's right. Yeah. But how great for the community also to right. get out right. of Vail and right. to go highlight Minturn. And even that right. I've met people from Minturn who found out that we're going to hang out in the saloon afterwards uh -huh. and are just so excited. Yeah. That there's going to be yeah. something happening in the saloon. And yeah. uh, all that stuff gets me really happy well it, it, yeah absolutely it makes me happy for bravo because i feel like this piece has is a vehicle for this festival to to be its you know fullest self or even like just begin to tap into its fullest self um because of where it is and and how great it is and so yeah, so it's it's and it's it's been funny to talk about that. You know, I don't think John had no idea that this. You know, certainly he didn't. He just write. He wrote it. I think. I mean, he's a very different John Luther Adams now than he was. He sure is. Back. Yeah, back I mean, when I don't know piece. him personally, but I mean, as far as but just the world has found the him. world has found him. Yeah, yeah. But you know, this. You know, as I said the other night, I remember talking about the piece you know, on a camping trip in the tundra. Right. And then um, it was premiered at Banff uh, with Steve Schick and some participants from a program he was doing there with 20-some percussionists. And I I almost wonder if John thought maybe it would happen there, maybe once or twice more, and maybe that would be it. Because it right. it's seemingly such an improbable project also. Right. Um, that it has caught fire. You know, it's almost, it's like his NC or something. It's his very impractical NC. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and it's the end that it has come to be an example of something meaningful so that it so that people are doing it for big important events right like even here to end the season and to give for you guys to take a chance or we just did it in greece to open up the new their new national opera house wow um or at up in Tippet Rise that it was, you know, kind of consecrating right. this new space. Right. Um, yeah. So it's really exciting. Yeah. But, it's good but stuff. as you were, as you were saying, one of to go back to New York when we did it in Morningside Park, one of my favorite memories, my two favorite memories of doing the piece were one, the day I was like going around Harlem to all of the different like community arts board and, uh-huh. church basement number five right and just talking to people about right how we're going to do this really cool thing in this park and we want to highlight your park and we want to right you know and just talking to people about with genuine passion about something cool that we're going to do in harlem and getting people behind it um and then to see everybody come out and that it was my fear was that we were going to do this cool project in morningside park and it was just going to be the Brooklyn hipsters took a, a ride up to see this happen. Uh-huh. But the whole crew, like uh-huh. Harlem was out. Yeah. And th- yeah. there was, um, there's a big drum circle in Marcus Garvey park. Yeah. And then some guys from that drum circle came. Yeah. And we're looking for me to be like, we should get all our drummers together. Right. That's like, that's such a, that's like the biggest victory. You know, you, you've said two things that I can't, that have really, struck a chord in me and and unfortunately it has a little bit to do with the world that we're living in right now you talked about fear and you talked about safety and there's a lot of fear that goes into stepping out to do bigger never done before musical projects a lot of fear i mean when i did beethoven 2000 i was lying on the floor in my office at the rose building on the 10th floor calling into my office one by one all the staff members who were like doing all the work and and lying there saying is this going to work is anyone going to come you know and thinking i'm going to get well it it wouldn't have mattered if i'd gotten fired because at that point i had already decided that that was the end of my time there but i was a wreck i mean we were we were announcing that we were going to give away all these tickets in all these different locations. We had no idea who was going to come. No idea. A huge amount of fear, but which is a totally necessary ingredient, I think, in doing great things. But you also talked about this sense of safety for an audience. And... I've never thought about it that way, but that is a huge ingredient in a successful performance. So on the one hand, there's like the excitement, oh my God, you know, what what are they going to do? What am I going to hear? How am I going to feel? And then the actual creation of the sense of, oh, I'm okay here. You know, this is, this is good, you know? Um, I've never, ever thought about those two things that way. Um, I guess maybe it's become from being a drummer. I feel like it's going into classical music places. Yeah. The idea of making the audience feel okay. Yeah. Well, sometimes making presenters and people feel okay. Right. Right. Is, um, not insignificant. Right. But so it was funny. So last night 
just to, to draw an example. So when we played this new Paul Lansky piece, I could, you know, I feel like even, you know, I'm not sure Annie knew how to talk about the piece or how right. anybody did. And people knew it was important to talk about something or to con contextualize right. things for this right. audience that right. might hear string quartets. But um, so I ended up telling a story about my son. Because of classical music, I mean, you know, everyone is losing their context for classical music by the second. So if you then just make it, because it's not, we, you and I know that it's not precious. I mean, it's wonderful and we love it. Absolutely. And then if we can yeah. just humanize the whole thing. Absolutely. That then. Yeah. That's maybe all everybody needs. Yeah. To feel like it's okay. And, and so much, so much music was written for friends, you know, or to be, you know, just in a small space with people you knew, you know, people you drank with, people who you bled your heart to, you know. It was fun hanging out. We just scratched the surface. We should oh, do this again sometime. Definitely. We did just scratch the surface. <laughs> yeah. But it's fun to talk to you and it's fun. I hope people enjoy hearing you talk about this stuff. Just that. Who's going to yeah. hear this? I don't know. I got people who hear it. Yeah. All of the, all oh. of the um, people that work at Bravo will hear it. Oh, I see. All oh, of dear. the, um, mm. all of the liaisons are very excited. Are they? <laughs> like, oh my God, I want to hear what she says. Oh, it's a great group of people. It's uh, it it's fun. Cool. Well, thank you for being interested enough to actually have a conversation. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's good for me. Get my synapses firing here. Thanks. Thanks.